Café in taberna. It is not Wednesday, dear friends and detractors. All of you very well are well aware of who you are. It is Saturday. This episode was uploaded on July Sunday 11th of 2021. Regardless, it was recorded on Saturday of that same week. And we are here with a very late cafe, but sometimes Saturday is the best day to enjoy some crystal clear water to cleanse the palate and the finest... Arabicas and pilfered kami coffees that you have stolen from the DSA meeting and promptly scanned for STDs. With me today is Monsieur Terillion. Mm-hmm. You, you have to actually say words so people know what your voice sounds like if this is your first time. Hello. That was very rude of you. Very French. <laughs> and, and also with me today, uh, as usual, is Classical Theist, also known as the man known as C.T. Hello. Okay, so we're all here today. Uh, we have myriad subjects to discuss. Uh, I think I like the format where I tell people what we're going to talk about before we actually get into it, because it... It, it raises the expectations a little bit for the audience, don't you guys think? Yeah, and it sets the tone. <clears throat> yeah. Plus people know what they're in for. Right. So, but, you know, I mean, it, you know, as always, stick with us. You know, there's layers here. Um, we are going to be talking about St. Maria Goretti, as her feast day was recently, and uh, the um, yearly display of harpies and half-heathen Amazonian women uh, gnashing their teeth and grunting like gorillas about how it's not about purity, it's about forgiveness. Uh, and uh, CT will have some words about uh, John Paul II, Leo Thirteenth, and other popes regarding uh, sex and the role that the sexes play in marriage. Uh, everyone who hates St. Paul, uh, get ready to get your uh, pitchforks. Those of you that love St. Paul, get ready to laugh heartily, or at least be pleased with agreement. Uh, then we're going to talk about an update involving the based boomer priest who almost appeared on Steve Bannon's War Room, the podcast recommended by the righteous heathen, the Bronze Age pervert. Uh, the clerical folk shaman. The clerical folk shaman of, of, of the post-Trump era, uh, Father Altman, some updates on him. And I will also discuss a local sh- story on uh, the man that, in my imagination, that I've come to think of as the anti-Father Altman. Okay. And then we're going to talk about the AUSCP's meeting and their uh, uh, sodomitic uh, predilections and their predilections for Tagay. Uh, you want to tell us what that acronym is? The American, the uh, Association for United States Catholic Priests. Uh, if you live in a um, a pink diocese, if you know what I mean, uh, your bishop and your uh, local pastor might be a member. 
if you are in a place like Bishop Strickland's diocese with other such folks, uh, then they're probably aware of this organization as one that they are bitterly opposed to. And then we will discuss Cardinal Sarah's recent tweets regarding Samorum Pontificum, or Samorum Pontificicum, uh, and those rumors surrounding that. So that's our show. And uh, here we go with topic number one, St. Maria Goretti and the gnashing of teeth. So it was St. Maria Goretti's feast day recently. And let me um, begin this by reading uh, a, a tweet uh, by a certain priest who uh, won't, uh, will not be named, because that's probably prudent. Um, but people have said, before I start seeing bad takes about St. Maria Gretti, the truly heroic act is uh, from her was that the, is that the church would have us focus on is her forgiveness of Alessandro and not that her she defended her purity, never mind the decades of bad preaching. And uh, Which incidentally includes the preaching of uh, Pius XII and even John Paul II. <laughs> right, but this... This priest, because he's wearing a fiddleback vestment, you should listen to him. Um, you know, he's based. He chants it. He murmurs the Latin mass mediocrely. Um, and then, uh, of course, a certain Patheos blogger uh, has... Uh, I do not have access to the full tweet. I only have access to a preview. But a certain female Patheos blogger said, It is deeply creepy and disgusting that Alessandro Serenelli uh, had a home shrine to the little girl he harassed and tried to molest for months before stabbing her to death. And he basically, she basically says this is that he didn't have an authentic religious conversion, that he uh, was um, basically just using it, had a new psychological fixation. So, before we get into the topic, who was St. Maria Goretti? St. Maria Goretti was born in uh, Corinaldo, Italy, to Luigi Goretti and Assunta Carlini. Assunta took the name of her husband, Goretti, as you would have in a normal, rational time in which the relations between the sexes were healthy. Um, Assunta Goretti... Uh, had her uh, daughter baptized and gave her the name Maria Therese, and she was confirmed by bishop by her bishop, and the Goretti family uh, suffered much because um, her father died May sixth, the nineteen hundred, after being bit by a mosquito and infected with malaria, uh, and he died. So uh, Maria was uh, harassed by one Alessandro Serenelli, who was a twenty-year-old man. Uh, who harassed this 11-year-old girl uh, for months, and then he attempted to rape her on July 5th, 1902, at 3.30 p.m. And when she refused to be raped and fought him off and uh, would not allow herself to be penetrated by him, he, in a rage, stabbed her to death. She died the next day at 11 years, 8 months, and 21 days after her last words being, I forgive Alessandro Serenelli, and I want to be with him forever in heaven. July 8th, 1902, she was buried. And then on May 31st, 1935, the information gathering process for her canonization begun because there was purported miraculous things going on. Pius XII recognized the authenticity of the martyrdom of Maria Goretti in 1945. In 1947, 
uh, Maria Goretti was beatified. In the 1950, June 24th, Maria is declared a saint by Pius XII in St. Peter's Square. Having died at the age of 11, she is the youngest canonized saint in the Catholic Church's long and storied history. The attendance of her canonization exceeded one half million souls, the largest of any canonization up to that point in time. It was a crowd so large that for the first time in its history, St. Peter's Basilica, the largest church in the world, could not be used for a canonization mass because it was too small to hold the faithful who desired to witness the event. Thus, St. Maria's canonization was moved to St. Peter's Square, being the first open-air canonization in history. This is all from uh, mariagretti.com. And uh, there's a nice photo of her mother who got to see her little girl being canonized in 1950. Um, so it says, about us. Uh, While St. Maria is universally known as the patroness of purity, her greatest virtue was her unyielding forgiveness of her attacker, even in the midst of horrendous physical suffering, a forgiveness that would completely convert him and set him on a path to personal holiness. In March, His Holiness Pope Francis ignored it, blah, 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 the year of mercy, uh, and there was a visit of the major relic. So that is who uh, Maria Goretti is. It sounds like that they've, the official website has been influenced by a little bit of this stuff, but uh, I will pass the topic on to you guys now that I've uh, explained who this, uh, this great saint was. Well, I do want to say, um, Terillion, you, you seem, I think you had a spat with, someone on the timeline over this you want to maybe get into that <laughs> um yeah I, I i did have quite quite a spat with someone at the timeline over this were they clergy I, oh no no okay. it was nothing major it was just some you know woman who uh was mad on the internet at a man like 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 who cares realistically speaking uh but you know, I, I I made the essential point that when you are defending yourself from something like rape, you are defending a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We are all temples of the Holy Spirit, and in doing so, uh, unto death, you are doing something greater than someone who perhaps provides token resistance and then gives up. That doesn't mean that the person who provides a bit of resistance or succumbs to fear is somehow a bad person. But it is clear that the person who resisted unto death is a better person. They committed an act of super arrogation, and that is a word that is extremely important. That is doing more than what is required of you. And that's something yes. that a lot of people don't understand. Um Within Catholicism, especially outside of Catholicism, I mean, Protestantism completely rejects the existence of supererogatory acts. If you don't believe me, just look at the historic reform tradition. How would you spell that word? Supererogation, so super. E-R-O-G-A-T-I-O-N. Just for those, for those that want to look that up later for themselves. Go on, TT. You're going to say something. Uh, yeah, well, actually, I was I was just about to say what uh, Terillion just said about superherrogation. <laughs> um, it's 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 kind of unfortunate that something that I think is deeply embedded in Catholic tradition is lost on a lot of Catholics, specifically as it pertains to the importance of uh, virginity and sexual continence. Now, of course, we should 
you know, be very clear that, you know, like you were saying, Terillion, if a woman kind of puts up resistance and then gives up, that that doesn't that doesn't cause her to lose virginity in the formal sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, to even transcend that and 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 see the the the, the bodily integrity as itself something to uh, per, uh, something to ward off, you know. Um, or, or rather, to protect by warding off the aggressor is is something that is in itself highly, highly spiritually meritorious, and to desire that unto unto death itself is is to take a good that is in itself uh, super erogatory. At a very high level, once we're talking about uh, the mere preservations of, of, of the purely bodily uh, material element of, of, of virginity and seeing that as, as something to uh, protect and, 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 and uh, preserve un, unto death, that is what is at, at the heart of this. What is being praised as characteristically heroic virtue? Yeah, I mean, I think a problem here too is that uh, there's a there's a tendency to think that virginity is not something that is ontologically real, right? Um, to treat it as um, simply a fact of history, a personal history, or something mm-hmm. like that, rather than objective. Um, of material or formal purity. Oh, were you about to say something? Oh, you were just clearing your throat. Yeah. And so that causes problems. And I mean, you know, so a lot of people will talk about how this is insensitive to rape victims and, and people who have, you know, succumbed or who even did try to fight them off uh-huh. and uh, succumbed anyway. Maybe. Uh, it can maybe be presented in that way. But I think you know, the fundamental issue is is that we don't have a strong uh, notion of supererogation. And to go back to that, I think instinctively, one of the reasons why many victims of rape probably feel guilt is because they know something valuable was lost, which they could have defended. Now, please don't pounce on me yet. They know something valuable was lost, which they could have defended, or at least tried harder to defend. But because they don't have a proper concept of supererogation, the only way in which that guilt or sense of defilement or sense of loss can become intelligible is through a sense that they did something wrong or that they are morally defective. Rather than that they're just not as heroic as someone who went all the way. I don't know if that's true, but that is a thought that I had. and in fact, I would say on that basis, to properly understand St. Maria Goretti and to understand her dying for her own purity is actually inspiring to people who've been victims of these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, it's actually funny. Uh, so one person, uh, you know, in the replies, uh, he didn't say it was him, but I, I don't want to say his name anyway because it seems kind of weird. Uh, a male victim of rape 
uh, responded to the controversy and he said, well, look, um, I was raped by a woman once who plied me with alcohol and I was too afraid to do anything because I did not want to myself be accused of being the rapist. And I was afraid of what would happen if I hurt her. And so I didn't, you know, resist all the way. And um, and I find the story of St. Maria Goretti inspiring. I've spoken to people who are victims of rape who actually object to the idea, um, perhaps a simplification of Augustine's idea that a nutter's lust cannot pollute you. Um, Some of them might object to that idea because they're like, no, something was lost when I was violated or raped. I've spoken to a lot of people who have been uh, sexually abused. It comes with the territory of being a very personable person who's easy to talk to. (laughs) It comes with the territory of being a simp. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I mean, something is lost. And I I, I don't think you could properly understand rape without understanding... um, Purity is something ontologically real, and understanding um, this, and you know, it's one of the reasons why rape is as bad as it is, is because mm-hmm. you are robbing someone of something ontologically real. It's not just, yeah. I think I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, starting to ramble and repeat myself. And and the the reason why you know so many people get tied into tied into knots and they want to contextualize her. Her, you know, the the saint's virtue to just merely being the, you know, virtue of forgiveness is because, um, you know, it's because of feminism, frankly. It's because of, you know, the, the, the feminist movement and viewing yeah. that rape purely as a assault due to the fact that consent was not given. Which yeah. I mean, I mean, like, like that's you know, part- interesting. Go ahead, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, um, go ahead. Yeah, like you know that woman you mentioned who, who basically, uh, the Patheos blogger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who said that like Alessandro was was to be an, an insincere post conversion? Uh huh. What's What's ironic about that is. In the name of, um, of trying to focus entirely on the uh, forgiveness aspect of Maria Goretti's virtue, she she's exemplifying like the total, like inverse of that virtue with respect to Alessandro, right? Um, which, which is just kind of interesting. Uh, I'd like to add, okay, Maria's own mother forgave him, and he attended her canonization. Yeah. I, and you know, it's funny because a lot of these people are the same people who will militate against capital punishment. It's, yeah. yeah exactly. A lot of these people are the same people who will say like you're 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 being you know, capital punishment is bad and it's against my consistent life ethic and stuff like that, but. <laughs> Incidentally, the reason he wasn't put to death is because uh, he was not quite an adult yet. He was like 19 or something. And he was mentally a bit not entirely um, 
He was a few bricks short of a load, we shall say. Yeah, you can kind of tell just by looking at the pictures of him on Mar- the MarieGritty.com. He, 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 he was not the most intelligent young man. And, you know, uh, like... And, and you know, you know Tim... Is Tim still on Twitter, by the way? No. Okay. Well, Tim will know... Everyone will know Tim from the coronavirus episode. Um, uh, we need to get him on soon. Gosh. Um, He's brilliant. But he... Um, you know, he was saying to me in private, and he, I don't, he would not mind me sharing this, is that these people act like that they can read hearts, you know? And it's like, no, only God has that power. You know, like, you can make these, like, oh, well, these, 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 uh, these, these, uh, I can tell that he was this because, you know, uh, da 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 And, but it's like, no, you can't tell, read, read hearts. But you know, as Rhodey said, um, being a rapist can be forgiven to these people. Being a creep can't be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Typical feminist behavior. Um, he he's, he served twenty years in prison, and he said, you know, res- resigned. I atoned for my sins. Little Maria was truly my light, my protectress. With her help, I served those 27 years in prison well. When society accepted me back among its members, I tried to live honestly with angelic charity. The sons of St. Francis, the minor capitans of the marshes, welcomed me among them not as a servant, but as a brother. I have lived with them for 24 years. Now I look serenely to the time in which I will be admitted to the vision of God to embrace my dear once my dear ones once again and be close to my guardian angel maria gretti and her dear mother asanta may all who read this letter of mine desire to follow the blessed teachings of avoiding evil and following the good may all believers with the faith of little children that religion with its precepts is not something one can do without rather it is true comfort the only sure way is all of life circumstances even in the most painful rather it is a true comfort Peace and, you know, and all you know, good. You know, it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. 1961, uh, here, by the way. It's, it's worth mentioning here. Even though he wasn't given the death penalty, his punishment was way harsher than, like, basically any rapist gets in our society. <laughs> yeah. You know, so these same people will say that capital punishment is unjust, are upset that a guy who got, to, that a, guy who got a much larger punishment than just about any rapist in society uh was forgiven by the person that he assaulted what, and what, yeah what's kind of unfortunate about this is that you know if pivoting to maria garetti's uh capacity to forgive alessandro weren't um uh if, if that wasn't done in the service of uh, like obfuscating her uh, fight for purity, right? Um, that that would be a like the, the the whole conversion story of Alessandra would be like a wonderful complement to um, the story of uh, fighting for purity unto death, and then and those two elements of it could could be fully complimentary side by side but unfortunately like we have to like it has to be a zero-sum game which is just ridiculous and frankly i'm going to say um you know we're not uh we're not the most uh we're not fraticelli here on into berna 
on Cafe and Taberna. And quite frankly, it is repugnantly disgusting the way in which that so many clergy and people frame this issue. Yes. And, is. and um, she was a martyr for purity. That is, that's that. And she, she died defending the temple of her body. Yes. Even John Paul II acknowledges this, by the way. And, you know, to kind He's of... very clear about it. Right. And, you know, to kind of... Uh, to um, pivot to the next... Uh, to this other thing we wanted to talk to in light of this topic, which uh, CT was uh, did some... Uh, you did some uh, florigelium propellant preparing. Uh, did some quote mining. Um, about the... Uh, one of the reasons why uh, so many people have these quite frankly, delirious and psychotic takes about a saint who defended her purity and who forgave her assault, her rapist, um, is because they are contextualizing this in the intellectual milieu of the feminist movement. Um, whether it's like the intentional weird like pseudo-Catholic feminism uh, that different ministries try to promote about like, you know, over over-exaggeration of human dignity and so on. Uh, but, you know, there's a very real teaching of on uh, the role between the, the relationship between the sexes and their roles. And you, and you both have things to say about that, actually. Yeah. Now, first, I, I want to kind of um, insist uh, Contrary to a lot of, I guess we could say, post-trads, <laughs> sure. that there, there really does seem to be a, a true magisterial discontinuity on this issue, okay? Um, and we have to acknowledge that. I think we have to have the maturity and the... Uh, the um, common sense to to simply acknowledge what is before our eyes. So I kind of want to just establish that here by reading some quotes, if you don't mind. Um, Let's do it. Let, let let me just start off with uh, the let's call it the golden teaching. Um, and we and first of all, I mean, we can just say flat out like. Um, the traditional teaching on uh, the relationship between uh, the sexes that has unanimous support among the church fathers. Right? I, I don't. I don't think I have to. I don't think that's even controversial. <laughs> I don't think anyone even questions that. Um, it's obvious, right? Um, Let's. Uh, so before you go on, why don't we actually get Tim in here? Really quick. Um, well, I, I was just going to jump to the, the magisterium itself. Well, why don't you do that? But let's get Tim in after that because he's here. He's he's around, and I know he'd like to join. Just real quick. Oh, um, well, all right. So go, go you ahead. You want to do that now? No, you go ahead. Uh, well, so CT, go ahead and read the magisterium quotes, and then we'll get Tim to talk about well, the well, consensus of the him, fathers. Have him do the patristics first, because we can establish that first and foremost, and that'll help build the case for why we opt for one 
I, the other. I apologize for my spontaneity, but we've uh, kidnapped Tim, our resident patristics expert, to explain on this topic. How's it going, Tim? Welcome to Cafe and Taberna. Oh no, did I make a horrible mistake? Is Tim not here? Oh, shucks. Oh well. That's gonna stand. Uh, go ahead, CT. Why don't you just go ahead? If he come, if he's, if he arrives, he arrives. Okay. Okay. Um, so, I'll start here with um, Leo the Thirteenth in his encyclical Arcanum Divini. Now, what's important to recognize is the reason that we're 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 just going back to the. Um, the 19th and early 20th centuries because the popes here are responding to um, uh, teachings to modernistic errors about a gender that um, were, you know, in opposition to truths that were, you know, taken for granted. <laughs> okay, so that's why, that's why I guess the more explicit teachings on gender from papal teaching in particular is like this window of 19th century to early 20th century but anyway so. let me interject so just to say real quick that the priest who married my wife and i uh who uh performed the marriage right over us uh we basically because of my uh health things uh we got married pretty quick and we really didn't have to go through marriage prep because he trusted us and uh, he, our homework was basically just watch Fulton Sheen talks in marriage. And I told him, oh, we read Arcanum. He's like, that's perfect. Okay, yeah, <laughs> right. Arcanum really is perfect. So let me just, uh, let me just get to this. Um, so Pope, the Pope says, Pope Leo XIII, he says, furthermore, the Christian perfection and completeness of marriage are not comprised in those points only which have been mentioned. For first... Uh, there has been vouchsafed uh, to the marriage union a higher and nobler purpose than was ever previously given to it. By the command Christ, by, by the command of Christ, it is not it not only looks to the propagation of the human race, but to the bringing forth of children for the church, fellow citizens with the saints, and the domestics of God, so that a person might be born and brought up for the worship and religion of the true God and for our Savior Jesus Christ. Secondly, the mutual duties of a husband and wife have been defined, and their several duties or, and their several rights accurately established. They are bound, namely, to have such feelings for one another as to cherish always very great mutual love, to be ever faithful to their marriage vow, and to give one another an unfailing and unselfish help. The husband is the chief of the family and the head of the wife, the woman, because she is flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, must be subject to her husband and obey him, not indeed as a servant, but as a companion, so that her obedience shall be wanting in neither honor nor dignity. Since the husband represents Christ, and since the wife represents the church, let there always be both in him who commands and in her who obeys a heaven-born love guiding both in their respective duties. For husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let also wives be 
to their husbands in all things, unquote. Um, in some. Yeah, so, like, that's just... It's just a very obvious reiteration of what St. Paul clearly teaches, right? I mean, uh, and this was, and it, th- there's really no ambiguity in what St. St. Paul teaches, right? <laughs> um, it, it, it's clear as day. Maybe you need to spell it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it'll be spelled out even more when we read Pius the Eleventh. Okay. Um, so. Costi Kanubi, right? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't Costi Kanubi. Um, we had to read that too for my wife and I uh, when we were getting did married. You? Yeah, yeah. It oh, was well, re- that's wonderful. It was really <laughs> awesome because it's like we watched Fulton Sheen. We read these two encyclicals, and basically the priest. He was a trad priest. He's he's diocesan, but he you know mm-hmm. he knows that most of these catechical, catechical programs are bogus. He was just like, "You've done more marriage <laughs> prep in three days." than any than most couples who do in a whole year of these ridiculous classes yeah yeah i mean it, it's it's really not that difficult to i mean just like read a couple encyclicals and you'll have the gist of it read ephesians 5 you know um so cassie Kanubi says after discussing the uh the the phenomenon of of um, women's rights movements and such says this, however, is not the true emancipation of women, nor that rational and exalted liberty which belongs to the noble office of the Christian woman and wife. It is rather the debasing of the womanly character and the dignity of motherhood, and indeed of the whole family, as a result of which the husband suffers the loss of his wife, the children of their mother, and the home and the whole family of an ever watchful guardian more than this this false liberty and unnatural equality with the husband is to the detriment of the woman herself for if the woman descends from her truly regal throne to which uh, she has been raised within the walls of the home by means of the gospel she will soon be reduced to an old state of slavery if not in appearance certainly in reality and become as amongst the pagans the mere instrument of man um he goes on to say this equality of rights, which is so much exaggerated and distorted, must indeed be recognized in those uh, rights which belong to the dignity of the human soul and which are proper to the marriage contract and inseparably bound up in, with wedlock. In such things, undoubtedly, both parties enjoy the same rights and are bound to, by the same obligations. In other things, there must be a certain inequality and due accommodation, which is demanded by the good of the family and the right ordering and unity and stability of home life, unquote. So that is the traditional papal teaching. And, you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's very clearly a um, rather straightforward exegesis of what St. Paul says in Ephesians 5, right? The husband and the wife are to be related to each other as Christ is to the church. And even as implicitly, contained in ephesians 5 as the soul is body and you can even extrapolate further i I did a whole video on this on my channel on you know why sexual morality matters to god it's it's not only christ and the church it's soul and body it is uh god and the world form and matter act and potency existence and essence it goes 
I think it cuts through the whole, uh, the, 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 the multi-layered um, depth of, of uh, reality, if you think about it. Um, so it's very profound people teaching, right? Um, compare this to oh no, what... <laughs> yes, here we go um, to what you find in John Paul II and Francis. Now, John Paul II, as opposed to Francis, is a theological actor, so it's going to sound like he's actually trying to make it fit with what came before. Or when we get to Francis, it's going to be like, it's just, just it, NWO. You'll see the, like, yeah, it's going to be just like night and day, but okay. So John Paul, the second says, uh, the following, it's kind of long because John Paul, the second, unfortunately writes very, 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 very to quote, lengthy to quote Garagou Lagrange. One of yes, his writes, teachers. Writes much, says little. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, what he says here is, and this is his, this is in his encyclical, uh, Mulieris Dignitatem, uh, on the dignity of women. Um, man and woman are called from the beginning not only to exist side by side or together, but they are also called to exist mutually, one for the other. This also explains the meaning of help, spoken of in Genesis 2, 18-25. I will make him a helper uh, fit for him. The biblical context enables us to understand this in the sense that the woman must help the man, and in turn, he must help her, first of all by the very fact of their being human persons. In a certain sense, this enables man and woman to discover their humanity ever anew and to confirm its whole meaning. We can, under, we can easily understand that, on this more fundamental level, it is a question of a help on part of both, and at the same time, a mutual help. To be a human person means to be called to interpersonal communion. I mean, this is just, if you read John Paul II, like this, this I think, uh, nauseating language becomes Gag very familiar. Um, with a spoon. So, it keeps going. The author of Ephesians, uh, I mean, you could just say St. Paul, but anyway, um, the author of Ephesians knows that this way of speaking, so profoundly rooted in the customs and religious tradition of the time, is to be understood and carried out in a new way, as a mutual subjection out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21 This is especially true because the husband is called the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is so in order to give himself up for her, and giving himself up for her means giving up even his own life. However, whereas in the relationship between Christ and the church, the subjection is only a part of the church, in a relationship between the husband and wife, a subjection is not one-sided but mutual. Notice there's no scriptural quotation after that. Um, and, of course, because you can't find one. <laughs> uh he goes on, the awareness that in marriage there is a mutual subjection of the spouses out of reverence for Christ, and not just that the uh, that of the wife to the husband, must generally establish itself in hearts, consciences, behavior, and customs. This is a call which, from that time onward, does not cease to challenge succeeding generations. It is a call which people have come have to accept ever anew. 
St. Paul not only wrote, in Christ Jesus there is no more man or woman, but also wrote, there is no more slave nor free man. Yet how many generations were needed for such a principle to be realized in the history of humanity through the abolition of slavery? And what is one to say of the many forms of slavery to which individuals and peoples are subjected, which have not yet disappeared from history? But the challenge presented by the ethos of redemption is clear and definitive. So if our listeners haven't fallen asleep by now, I'm uh, falling asleep. I, I think yeah. we need to swick up people. <laughs> yeah. It's not my fault. It's how he writes, okay? I could really use some matcha right now. It's, it's, it's how he writes, okay? Like, I'm sorry. Um, but a few things to say about this. Um, for one, like, it's... Like the the fact that he has to to tie himself into all of these uh, rhetorical theological pretzels just to get around the obvious fact of what Ephesians five says about women being subjected to their husbands, kind of I think self sufficiently establishes the problem. And, you know. And- there's actually someone here now, at last, to talk about the great discontinuity between the ancient churches teaching on the subject of the submission to the wife to the husband. And Tim is here. Tim apparently told me that he fell asleep when you started, uh, that he had come in, he'd walked away, and that he actually fell asleep when you started reading JP2's quotations. Hello, Tim. Oh. Good night. And the ancient teachings of the church are best expressed in the encyclical of Pope Leo XIII, Arcanum Divinae. Secondly, the mutual duties of husband and wife have been defined, and their several rights accurately established. They are bound, namely, to have such feelings for one another as to cherish. He, he, just, he just read that quote. <laughs> yeah, we're asking, like, so basically, what we're saying is, like, connect what that traditional papal teaching is to the universal consensus of the fathers. I know it's kind of off the top of your head, but like, uh, when it comes to the universal consensus of the fathers. Uh, the fathers would have said that uh, women are bound to obey their husbands because husbands are the head of the family as Christ is the head of the church. And also that women must be subject to their husbands. But obviously that teaching has gone out of vogue since the rise of feminism. No longer is talk of wifely subjection uh, tolerated, and in some circles, even trad circles, um, women will become very antsy anytime the topic is brought up. Who in particular comes to mind that, that taught this most rigorously? I mean, John Christenstum is definitely one. <laughs> like, I mean, Augustine. Right? <laughs> yep. So are I'm, those the two main ones? Or are there others that you think would be particularly helpful? Saint John Christ, especially in his homily on Ephesians, uh, mm-hmm. 
St. John Chrysostom's homily 20 on Ephesians is probably the most pertinent because his teaching summarizes not only the Greek position, um, but it's also prima facie the Latin position as well, mm -hmm. where, where he basically restates all the admonitions of St. Paul. And to back him up, he also brings Sirach, um, which, you know, Sirach is uh, quite contentious nowadays. Um, when I was reading it on the USCCB's website, it was heavily footnoted and said, oh, Ben Ciro lived in a time when men were misogynistic and <laughs> women didn't have rights. And... <laughs> Yeah, that's literally on the USCCP's website. Did he not, Did he not say, say I've only met one righteous man among a thousand and no women? Yep. <laughs> I mean, but also, like, the book of Proverbs is full of things like that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you really, 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 really have to squint hard to say that the Bible is not a patriarchal document. Of course, people will talk about mutual submission, but the only place where you have the term mutual submission is somewhere in Ephesians. But the funny thing is, is like it explicitly says, submit to each other in Christ, right? Yeah, it I, I want to spend some time on that. And I would say what that's saying is that submit to one another insofar as you are invoking one another's submission to Christ, which yeah. trumps the submission of wife to husband. Like, and for also, example, oh, yeah, go ahead. You know, a wife might invoke like 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 a a, a, a woman's husband, <laughs> husband might be doing something really bad or be about to make a bad decision and then she she invokes the words of christ uh and that gets him to smarten up that's yeah it's a good example or you know she calls in the marital debt because women could do that too uh in fact in the middle ages well uh, no uh, you, you can't go ahead it's okay 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 well in the middle ages for example the marital debt took priority over for example uh working for your lord so if your lord asked you to do something you could say sorry uh my wife is calling in my marital debt i have to uh do my duty which for, <laughs> for those who are unaware that mean the marital debt means to perform the conjugal act that means sex yes <laughs> now what's what what one thing i kind of want to say about this is um it's unfortunate that, you know, John Paul II brings up this this thing, mutual submission, which Terillion has been talking about. And, like, there's a very narrow sense in which that can be, like, true, as, as Terillion has been indicating. You know, like, the wife can, um, can bind her husband to more correctly fulfill his role like if the husband is just like getting drunk somewhere and abandoning like the family or whatever he's not leading right he's not actually leading as christ would lead so like there is that but we we have to understand that like when john paul ii brings this up this this concept of mutual submission which which might have like if you squint really hard you can conjure up some true application to it uh 
what's what's the what's the environmental climate on gender at the time it's it's when feminism has is basically running victory laps right so what does this do to the traditional teaching of the church well it, it, it damages its reputation it makes it it, it it basically gives license for for priests and bishops and catechists to totally ignore the prior teaching and it's it's yeah it's, and, and and then it's no wonder that you get francis's uh uh statement in amoris laetitia yeah I, and, um, and i'll read that yeah can i just talk about the importance of like someone having a final say briefly briefly look if Every family needs a head. Might as well be the man for various reasons. Uh, someone needs to have a final say. Otherwise, you just get to a bunch of impasses and eventually divorce. Yeah. So, uh, well, like I'll give I'll give an example of like, you know, you know how we talked about those various analogies um, that relate to man and woman, where like mutual submission can kind of happen, where like. Like, let's say if we're, if we're talking about the soul and the body, right? Um, let's say you are, um, you're cloistered up in your room contemplating highly abstract philosophical concepts, and you're doing that for like hours and hours and hours to the point where you're avoiding bodily necessities, like going to the bathroom or eating. Well, your body is going to remind you that that the soul has to take care of the body <laughs> right um but it's it's the soul that has to actually take the initiative to take care of the body over which it is charged to direct its activities right um so i i guess that's just to give like a final analogy on that but so uh moving over to francis where he says in amoris Laetitia. And be mindful of what Pius XI said about female emancipation and how he was against it. Um, uh, Francis says the following. There are those who believe that many of today's problems have arisen because of the feminine emancipation. Um, this argument, however, is not valid. It is false, untrue, a form of male chauvinism. The equal dignity of men and women makes us rejoice to see old forms of discrimination <laughs> disappear and within families there is a growing reciprocity if certain forms of feminism have arisen which we must consider inadequate we must nonetheless see in the woman's movement the working of the spirit for a clearer recognition of the dignity of the uh, and the rights of women so like as you can see john paul ii was tying himself into pretzels to try to like speak out of both sides of his mouth on this issue because he's like a theologian and he knows how to do that um francis doesn't know how to do any of that so he just like openly contradicts his predecessors probably not even realizing he's he's doing so in so explicit terms no there's francis based francis cutting the gordian knot of uh, conservative catholicism as always yeah. and i'm sure i'm gonna get like there's gonna be some pro po post trad who, who's going to like tell me the deep the deep esoteric nuances you, behind you francis's need to read, you need to read 11 volumes of moral theology yeah no like, like they're, they're gonna they're gonna give me like paragraphs of, of what 
of of how like Francis saying certain forms of feminism are inadequate. Like that's like an esoteric hey. nod to like Pius hey. XI. No, CT. it isn't. CT. Yeah. Four p.m. Time to read eleven volume the, 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 the eleven volume of Francis's moral theology. Yes, redacted. <laughs> yeah, that, that that that's basically what I think a lot of these. Uh, their their papal positivism and scrupulosity together have 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 led them, I think, to waste hours and hours and hours of, of time on like, something like I that said they in really, a tweet recently. It's basically don't, don't make yourself sick. It, what is what is, it's basically? It's basically trying to find esoteric theological wisdom in a glorified fortune cookie that is Francis's magisterium. <laughs> He's just regurgitating like talking points from like the new york times or something like it's not yeah. like it's 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 literally that bad uh this like, is there's no reference to scripture either like compared to john paul ii where he's he is i think being at least somewhat uh, discontin uh, discontinuous with past magisterium but he's he's making theological illusions he's quoting ephesians he's he's using these like uh He's borrowing terms from his uh, phenomenology tradition, which he loves so much, you know? Um, uh, there's none of that in Francis. And to some extent, it's refreshing. To some extent. Just just, just plain old... Uh... Francis, Francis just has that endgame. He just wants his portrait right next to the Dalai Lama's in a liberal's bedroom. Yes. But if I could say one more thing on this, um, and it it speaks to uh, the citations that that uh, Tim has given with respect to the consensus of the fathers. Precisely because we have that consensus, precisely because the teaching of Chrysostom and the teaching of Jerome and the teaching of Augustine and, and the teaching of Gregory the Great and the teaching of Innocent III and so on and so forth. Yeah, so on even, and so forth, even the heretics like Tertullian and Origen and yes, Severian, yes. I mean, they might be heretics, but they have the same teaching. Right. I mean, it it, it really goes down to the fact that this is a teaching of nature, not even of revelation. Um, but the point is, precisely because the tradition is so overwhelmingly on the side of, um, I guess, patriarchal familial structures over and against um, feminism the, the the papal teaching of the 19th and 20th century magisteriums um, has to be has to override any future magisterial teaching that contradicts it because the consensus of the fathers and scripture their rules of faith, they are, they, they are uh, infallible rules of faith, um, you know, on faith and morals, specifically referring to the consensus of the fathers and I, their interpretation of scripture. We're just normal Republican voting conservative Catholics here. I'm just following Cardinal Ratzinger's hermeneutica continuity. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know what you're on. Like, I'm just normal. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> yeah. Like what? What is this, Fran? <laughs> it's kind of ironic because it's like, uh, how do I read Francis in continuity? Um, you don't. don't. 
it's just bad. <laughs> there you go. Problem solved. Please stop. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's really funny. I really appreciate uh, that Tim was able to come here. So um, we're running at an hour, so we're gonna kind of get through these topics really lightning quick. Um, yeah. Uh, just. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of on the verge of falling asleep. Uh, you can cut this out after. I, I just, yeah. Uh, so if I, uh, if I peace out early, would that be okay? Just, like, in a bit? Uh, no, you can go ahead and just, like, if you want to take off now, you can. Okay, I'm gonna take off now, because I'm, I'm falling asleep at the computer. It's all good. Good night, Tyrellian, and I'm just gonna keep it on. It's all good. I am so sorry. Good night. Good night, good everyone. everyone. Okay, so now it's just the three of us. Tyrellian has gone to take his nap. Um, so, f I don't think he, he really wanted to contribute to the Father Altman stuff, other than just the normal outrage <laughs> at liberal bishops. Um, so, for our next, uh, for our next topic that we're going to briefly go through, um, we'll ju let's just talk about the AUSCP meeting really quick. Uh, Tim, do you know what the AUSCP is? I am not sure what that is. So it is the American, uh, the Association of U.S. Catholic Priests, which uh, New Ways Ministry and Future Church gathers there. And uh, Rich, when they had their meeting in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a couple years ago, uh, Father Richard Rohr um, uh, attended and... Uh, Bishops who were members or have previously participated in AUSCP events include Cardinal Supich, Cardinal Wilton Gregory, Archbishop Gregory Hartmeyer, who has taken over uh, Cardinal uh, Bishop Gregory's old post of Atlanta, Georgia, Archbishop Robert Carlson, Bishop John Stowe, who was the uh, bishop in Kentucky that threw Nicholas Sandman under the bus, and then Bishop Robert McElroy, the defeater of Catholic Answers. <laughs> <laughs> the glorious Episcopal Slayer of Catholic Answers of San Diego. Uh, so they had their uh, their meeting, and it was horrible and scandalous. Uh, but there was a video. Uh, why don't you just talk about it, CT, really quick? It just, I'm just really we're just telling people to watch this because it was funny. Before we move on to Father Altman. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like it's so basically. There's this video. Lepanto where, Institute, right? That's the Lepanto yeah, Institute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, where it's uh, this Lepanto Institute journalist. I forget his name. Yeah, I know he's very popular. Um, but he like confronts these these liberal priests about how they're they're obviously not adhering to the teaching of the church on um, basically anything like women's ordination, homosexuality, etc. Basically, the, the the response is, is just like, well, we're 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 supporting charity and we're supporting justice and we're supporting mercy and and you know it it, it just goes to show that um, that I think in in the age of in in the age of uh, Francis really like priests like this can can congregate and openly dissent from the church teaching and like literally nothing will ever happen to them yeah i mean that's true i mean 
Uh, it's uh, it's 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 very funny. It's kind of funny. I mean, like they can literally like like form a congregation that's that's like advertising their descent from the church, and 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 the only people who are there to push back are like these these like niche trad like outlets. I mean, not as niche as people think anymore. Um, I mean, very very quickly before I go on to how Father Altman relates to that. Uh, interestingly enough, because Father Altman um, was going to go on Steve Bannon's show before the diocese formally announced that they were stripping him of his faculties and kicking him out of his rectory. Um, so that that went big. Um, but that... The one thing I would say to balance this out is that theological modernism is a feature of every religious movement today. I mean, like, the independent fundamentalist Baptists exist because the Baptist conventions are so bad now. And the Anglican... The, the, the Anglican realignment and, like, the Anglican Church of North America and, like, you know, the Missouri Synod Lutherans and uh, the Presbyterian... I think it's the Presbyterian Church of America or the Orthodox Presbyterians, the so-called confessional Protestants... Anyway, so all of these, you know, theological conservatism and theological liberalism exists across the board, and like uh, a certain a certain right wing uh, uh, person, uh, you told me CT was like, well, if the church can't defend themselves from like these like these the the you know these uh these attacks from you know the Canadians burning their churches, the Canadian Antifa and and indigenous activists, then what good is it for? It's like, well, it it saves your soul. Yeah, <laughs> and and um, I I don't say names because I don't want to divide the movement. You don't divide the movement, but you know who is dividing the movement? CT and Tim. Bishop Callahan is dividing the movement. Yes, yes, he is. Because recently, Father Altman, the based priest, the priest who is not going to be like Father Karapi. The priest who is pure of heart and takes care of his 90-year-old parents in his rectory uh, has been uh, stripped of his faculties and um, told to get out. Uh, he has lost his celebrant card, meaning that he can only offer Mass privately. His faculties for preachings have been stripped and is restricted, and he is no longer allowed to preach, period. And he is only allowed to... Uh, assist at marriage uh, when an uh, an inactive priest needs delegation. Such delegation can be denied for a just and propagate proportionate reason. He is too racist. Father Altman is not permitted to administer the sacrament of baptism! Only in very well-defined circumstances. That is, individual cases for members of his own family can permission be given to administer the sacrament of death. So does that mean that if he lies like a nephew that's dying that hasn't been baptized already or something, that he actually has to, like, call the bishop and get permission? No, he wouldn't. He'd be covered, but, like, that's silly that they that word it this way. Um, such permission yeah. will be given to, by us or the vicar general for the Diocese of La Crosse. Father Altman is to reside within the boundaries of the Diocese of La Crosse. If his assistance is needed to procure such a residence, contact the vicar for clergy. Father James Altman is instructed to regularly meet with their vicar for trilogy for regular re-education, I mean meetings, 
and Father Altman is invited to begin at a date to be established in mutual agreement by himself or a vicar for clergy, a 30-day spiritual retreat to give him the possibility to spiritually heal and recharge and to address the issue that caused the issues of this year. To spiritually heal and recharge? What is this? What is this? Are they basically just going to... It's just basically going to be like diversity and inclusion sensitivity training for him I, I, the ministerial and the ministerial restrictions imposed by this decree are not imposed for perpetuity but for an indeterminate period of time that is until the cause has ceased to exist meaning you must cease to be based it is pr- yeah. primarily the responsibility of father james altman to make sure that this cause ceases to exist meaning cease to be based any violations of the present decree by Father Altman may warrant further, further dis- restrictions and may lead to the imposition of ecclesiastical sanctions. What does ecclesiastical sanctions mean? Do you know, Tim? Is that like a veiled like threat a... for Latia Sententiae? Ecclesiastical sanctions in this case mean being sent to St. Luke's. That's sinister. You should explain to the audience what that means. St. Luke's is an institution run by the church that's ostensibly for helping priests who have had a break or are involved in tenuous situations to recover and given a chance to do so in a supportive environment. However, what it usually amounts to is a thinly veiled threat of compliance and the horror stories that have emerged from St. Luke's um including mass surveillance uh, not all your media being sanctioned and controlled you are given certain books to read everything is filtered it's almost like what you would experience in a prison in a dystopian nightmare future and it's often used as a tool by bishops to keep clergy compliant, especially clergy who tend to lean more traditional or are known to basically go against the system in ways that may seem uh, to us innocuous or to trads um, just normal, but it's definitely a tool that's used in a very sinister manner. Right. For those that might not remember, um, this was in 2018, but Father Kalchik, who was the priest in Chicago that burnt the rainbow banner that was so near and dear to uh, Cardinal Bernadine, uh, who's at his funeral, the Chicago Gains Gay Men's Choir uh, sung the funeral. I believe, uh, as 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 it is told, and that is a historical fact. Um, and Father Kalchik burned the banner, uh, this rainbow flag banner. And uh, is he still in hiding? I don't know, but I'll have to check up on that at some point. But he basically people. That's what how I first heard of Saint Luke's is they were saying, yeah, he's in hiding because Supic is going to send him to Saint Luke's and declare him mentally ill. Do you have any reaction, CT? Yeah, that that's. I mean, it's it's sort of like a um, a ecclesiastical parallel of, you know, the 
the pretty common take that's been going around these days about like anarcho tyranny. Um, and it's pretty. It, it, I think it's it's very true in 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 this situation. Here you have a priest who really, you know, you, you could say that like maybe he's over politicizing sermons that that should be like more of a spiritual nature or whatever. But I mean, look, like you're so many priests exploited the entirety of last summer to to politicize sermons in favor of you know Black Lives Matter and such. So. Here you have a priest, Father Altman, who's saying everything he's saying is pretty much in accordance with the magisterium of the church, and he's like one of the one of the few popular priests actually uh, uh, defending the core magisterial truths that the culture is most antagonistically opposed to, right? Um, and, and yet he gets the the ecclesiastical book thrown at him. He gets the canon law books thrown at him, um, and, and 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 I think it's just, uh, and I think it just establishes the fact that, unfortunately, and unfortunately, you know, it doesn't leave for any solutions anytime soon, but. Because the Catholic Church is structured so hierarchically, for a good reason, but because it is structured so hierarchically, you're not you're not really going to have you know we we've compared Father Altman to like Trump in the past, and that's true, and I think it's still true. Nevertheless, you can't really have like a Trump figure break through in the church so easily, because. It's not the Catholic Church is not a democracy, for good reason, right? Um, no, none of us are ever going to be able to vote for Father Altman to stay in his parish, you know, and and, and to or or to uh, and uh, and we can't sign a petition or an initiative to prevent his laicization should it occur in the future. Um, well, I all what what we can do is support his his attempt to pursue canonical recourse um yes and to support bishops like archbishop cordelioni and bishop strickland as imperfect as they cling to the bishops we have to cling to the the bishops that we know more or less have our back i know we're 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 gonna mention cardinal sarasut we have to cling to those hierarchs you know, while we do our own lay ministries, of course, and and while we sp- spread the word in whatever uh, capacities we have the the right to as Catholics, um, nevertheless, the the only the only true means of solving the issue of solving the crisis of the church. The only way that it's going to happen is through clerics. As as I've said many times before, which is that, you know, um, I love Fulton Sheen. I even have a bizarre devotion to John Paul II that I can talk about some other time, even while admitting I would he, like that. his tremendous faults. Maybe we'll do a we'll do a post show about that and we can post it to Errantry Notes, my new show that I will be starting soon. Um but 
I love Fulton Sheen. I have a weird devotion to JP2. Really, my wife has it, and she softened my heart on him. Um, part of it's that... I'll explain later. Um, but they both were incorrect in saying that it's the time of the laity. This is the time for the Church of the Laity. But if you read the God, if you read the Holy Scripture, if you read the Bible, the role of the layman, of, you know, this idea of Catholic chivalry, if you will, and of, like, you know, the warriors of the Old Testament and stuff, our role is supportive. The laity is only capable of waging a defensive guerrilla war against the forces of darkness. To use some of the uh, Catholic masculinity language, you know, a um, little cringy, but I think it stands, right? The only yeah. people that can really wage a assault against the forces of hell are the clergy, because that's their job. And when you have bad clergy like this, I mean, it's like what St. John Eude says, it's a very, you know, common trad take, which is that, you know, that's a sign of God's displeasure that he's sending you such horrible birds. And, and you know, I, I recently, I feel like this is one of the most important things we're going to say in this, in this, in this episode today, which is that, uh, I recently went to a, uh, Latin mass that was put on by, uh, diocesan clergy. And, um, and it was very cool because I went to the, there was a reception after the Paris hall and it was like, there was, let me think here. Hmm. There was at least four to five priests all under the age of 40 in cassocks after this high mass at this reception for the high mass. And it was like a taste of like the old days of like ethnic Catholic America. Like it made me think about like St. John Bosco and like St. John Newman, uh, uh, not Gen not Cardinal Newman, jo John Newman of America, the Bishop of Philadelphia uh, and the thing is, is that, you know, I, I said, like, platitudinous things about, like, how great they were doing. I was basically saying, yeah, you're great, but, like, it really touched them, and the most important thing you can do is that if you've got a good priest, and not, like, one of these psychopaths on Twitter, but if you have a good priest, throw him 50 bucks, like, once a quarter. Yeah. Send him a thank you card. Ask your mom to make him, like, a casserole or something. Or make it yourself, whatever, whoever you are. And the the, the very real reality is is that because they are, if especially if they're in a diocese like La Crosse, where they have, like, a weak bishop like Callahan, and it sounds like Callahan is more so... He's, he's kind of the archetypical cowardly conservative, it sounds like, that he's, like, yeah. cowing yeah, to he's threats. he's more weak than malicious. But, unfortunately weakness often becomes malice yeah so if you have priests that are if you're in a diocese like that and you know good priests in the diocese support them even if that means driving two hours to go to whatever event they're throwing on so that people can be exposed to the latin mass and that's the way you can support them and if you show them that you are willing to be you know a christian soldier to quote the old you know um heretical hymn <laughs> that they will lead they will you will inspire them to leadership and it actually relates to that stuff we were talking about you know the the role between the sexes you know yeah i was just thinking that you know in which we will you know we are the we are a part of the bride 
and they are Christ. And if we inspire them to greatness, and if we show them take courage, because you know, like if if Father Altman was in my diocese, within the realm of of, of Father, if Father Altman was in my diocese within like the realm of like my canonical rights, I would hide him from the goons that wanted to take him to St. Luke's. I would hide him while he awaited canonical resource. I would write a, a letter to Rome. You should donate donate money if there's another campaign. And that's very important. And I realize I've kind of monologued, but uh, this is kind of the surprise talking point. I wish that Turlian was here. But uh, I don't know. I, did, I haven't told you either, but there is an anti-Father Altman in Albuquerque, New Mexico that I wanted to tell you guys about. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. So this, uh, I I got an email recently on my mundane email um, about um, this uh, priest who is the pastor of a parish uh, that will go unnamed. But uh, this priest's name is Father Vincent Chavez. You can read, you know what, he's the pastor at St. Therese Parish in Albuquerque. And uh, I'm going to read you, you know how churches have those stereotypical signs that like have the letters that you can move out of them, right? Um, I'm going to read you three of his signs and then I'm going to, and I'll get your guys' reaction and then I will tell the story. Okay. So signs from St. Therese Parish, red state, this during the pandemic, mind you, red states, America deaths up, pray for them. Trump golfs and attacks opponents as deaths near 100,000 Memorial weekend. Oh my gosh. God bless our faithful Catholic president. Restore decency, honor, and respect. Oh. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about this, Tim, before I tell the story? It definitely seems like it's going to be an interesting one, so you should just go ahead. Okay. So I got this from like a local pro-life group, uh, a chain letter basically saying to contact uh, Archbishop Wester because this man is ridiculous. Um, So uh, when people – I'll tell one last thing about Father Chavez. So there is a statue of the Holy Family on the grounds of St. Therese Parish because it's a shrine to the Little Flower, to St. Therese. And he put the infant Christ – he built a chain link fence around it in protest of Trump's immigration policy <laughs> and uh, Archbishop Wester, because while he is uh, somewhat center left Archbishop Wester, who is not psycho, uh, obviously understood that it was not a good idea to keep a cage around, uh, the infant Christ. Right. And what father Altman though has done recently is pretty, I mean, not father, Altman, father Chavez has done recently is actually pretty egregious. Um, so, here's the story. F- Recently, there was a tragic death of a woman named Mary Martinez. She uh, was flying in a hot air balloon with her husband. And, you know, Albuquerque is known for having, uh, you know, the international uh, balloon fiesta and so on and so forth. And uh, what happened was this uh, balloon sadly hit some power lines. And her and her husband died. And the, I think five people on that balloon died. Um, and so what ended up happening was that it came out recently 
that this woman who died was a parishioner of St. Therese Parish, and that Father Chavez wrote her a bizarre letter um, in June, on recently June 9th, just a little bit before she died, okay? And the letter basically reads that... um, I'm going to just read parts of it, okay? I understand that you made an appointment with me today discussing resuming Zumba class. Zumba is a type of dance that... Yeah, I know. In in the the parish... Pants To discuss resuming Zumba in the parish hall as the coronavirus pandemic in New Mexico seems to be easing. Please note that before discussing any form of volunteerism or ministry associated here at St. Therese Parish, a most important topic needs to be brought to your awareness. And so... um, in, on May twenty third, there twenty third, there was a bulletin apparently that uh, there was protesters that were pro on Pentecost Sunday that were protesting the parish being closed, and it said from the video produced by the protesters, you are clearly seen participating in the protest and even being interviewed. On that afternoon, I sent a text to your brother indicating that you were at the protest, and I indicated my shock and hurt. In all this year, you have not talked to me about this at all. When the Trump people were here with their flag signs, guns, and protesting and disrupting the 11 a.m. livestream mass inside, we could hear their jeers and taunts. And then viewing the video they made and posted, we could see their faces. And they were like, and then he says, I would like to think that I've always treated you with dignity. When Zumba was successful, I was the one that moved you into the larger room of the parish hall. I can already see the seething Wojak. Yeah. Uh... To think that you would actively participate in such an ugly and dangerous protest against me greatly hurts me. The actions by you and other protesters 31 May 2020 are no less serious than the insurrection in Washington on 6th of January. What is this guy talking about? <laughs> you, you protest here in front of the shrine was minuscule in size and scope to that terrible day in our nation's and American democracy's history with it attack and intent to kill, but no less serious. Your association with the threats against my life and safety I take most seriously. And the action of these violent and armed protesters sicken me. Um... And then he says, I had a bunch of questions. Did you know? Da, 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 da. And then um, uh, he, he says, perhaps they, uh, he, he calls the, the, that, the, that they may have used her for, they used her for vi- foul and vile purposes. And so then the letter concludes. At this point, with a year without answer from you or of, uh, with you of your part of the protest, I am not interested in talking to you. The Archdiocese is a formal process of reconciliation between parishioners and pastors, but as you were with armed protesters, I am not interested in any conversation or association with you in this earthly existence. As far as I am concerned, I hope the Lord understands that eternity is too short for me to ever have to run into you in heaven. Alas, the Lord Jesus has led... Has a lead on forgiveness on me, as he is also divine. And so, this pro-life group sent a chain email that I uh, that I I, I eventually fell into my inbox, uh, basically saying that this the, the, his actions are ridiculous, um, 
uh, and he said this to a woman who would go on to die a few days later in a tragic ballooning accident. Wow. <laughs> there's, there's, it's hard to even follow up with that. Like, I, how I've could never, someone, how could someone be that petty and vindictive? I've never, I've never, I've seen seething online before. But I've I've never heard seething and just mental breakdown and psychosis at that level. Uh, I think it's clear that he has some mild mental illness. If someone needs to go to St. Luke's, it's probably Father Vince. Um, uh, he uh, he he's you know he wears like a cowboy hat. And like, like he... I, I, I'm just gonna say, like, like <laughs> these. Okay, I should preface by saying, like, the only way you can refute the sacramentality of holy orders is by giving an actual theological argument, but, um. If emotional arguments worked against it, that, that 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 would be up there. Well, I mean, if anything, it's proof that like Satan's likes to influence priests. Yeah. <laughs> to lead souls astray. Um so, you know, this is becoming a big thing and, you know, Archbishop Wester, who is, you know, he's definitely center left, uh, is trying to uh he's going to have to adjudicate this now and uh, that's like what Keith Oberman would write to somebody <laughs> like if keith overman like if, if if there was like a trump supporter who, who went to like one of keith overman's dinner parties or something that's exactly the kind of letter he would write mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah like he, was, he, he was probably crying while he wrote that letter so but i mean he's he's this is the anti-father altman all, yeah, all of, say. all of all of the schizo uh, progressive Catholics that like think that Joe Biden is great and like have these schizophrenic uh, takes on um, uh, Francis, uh, he he's their folk shaman. But of course, nothing happens to him. Well, we'll see. I mean, the uh, New Mexico is a blue state, but it's kind of more purple and. Uh, yeah. The, the the Hispano pro lifers are, are are very incensed because he went after he went after a woman who taught Zumba at a re, at a large retirement community here in Albuquerque. So he he chose to rebuke the wrong lady just before she and died. Like, talk talk about talk about lack of proportionate response. Uh-huh. It's like, hey, can we start Zumba again? <laughs> responds with like responds with like you know that 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 old um that old copy pasta meme where, where it's like what did you just say to me i'll have you know i'm a former navy seal yeah yeah that one <laughs> um but um thank you tim for your uh i think we're, we're gonna wrap it up but thank you tim for your short notice appearance Anytime, man. Anytime. I really really appreciate it. Uh, But uh, I'll let the zither music take you on out. Good night. Good night.